Welcome to another installment of Show to V with Mike G, the show of life, the show of stand-up comedy, the show of bourbon, very, very much about bourbon, melocorn, and so much more to continue and conclude this Heaven Hill week at Show to V. I have the absolute pleasure of talking to the living legend himself, Mr. Bernie Lubbers, the whiskey prof, the previous stand-up comedian, the musician, the man of the world, the guy who is bringing each bottle and each bottled and bond whiskey to you one city at a time. It was a pleasure getting to know Bernie and sip the fine Heaven Hill whiskeys with him. In a way, it's kind of like jamming out with your favorite musician, except we had an amazing conversation, talked about a lot of things, and we conclude with a toast to Parker Beam, a man who I never had the pleasure of meeting, but have been introduced to his mind, his palate, via some wonderful, wonderful bourbons. So I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Heaven Hill's Bernie Lubbers. Miller Corn, absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, when I sip it, I think this is what they were, this is exactly what they were drinking in 1815, yeah. 1820. Only difference would be, you know, they were using once used pickle barrels right, or, right. you know, there's other brines. Just and whatever salt. they stored so in So they there, would right? burn yeah. it out. You know, they would burn that barrel out. So you aren't getting, so, but still, it's a used barrel. Yeah. It's been burned out. And that wasn't set as that's what has to be bourbon. You know, there had to be, you know, I look at mellow corn also is the fish that crawls up on, out, of the, out of the lake. That's right. Onto the, the, onto the land. Involves, you know, yeah. that's that. And so, yeah, is it the most deep and rich tasting whiskey in the world? Hell no. But it's important. It's corn whiskey. It's supposed to taste like corn whiskey. So let's shut off our brain. Yeah. You know, when I first tasted scotch, I didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. Because it looked like bourbon. I grew up in Kentucky. But boy, when you taste it, it ain't bourbon, right? So you've got us in the that was Simon Brooking. You probably know Simon. He's uh, I, um, works with Adam Harrison and everybody. He, really? he was on. I used to work with uh, Simon, and he was one that told me, Bernie, turn your brain off. Yeah, this is Scotch. So t- it's not turn turn whatever you think whiskey tastes like. Turn it off. Yeah, and now open up your mind and taste it. Do you, Do you feel like it is a so I'm, I'm, you know, and you got to do that with mellow corn. These are pantomimes you can't see, right? Right, but right, so right. There's this I'm pointing <laughs> to my head. Yeah, thinking about something, and then there is this. You know, yeah, my, or, or your you heart. Feel it. Yeah, right. And you don't overthink it. So turn off your brain. Yeah, you Just know that, they, right? they, they um, when you smell natural gas and there's a gas leak, mm. you know what that smells like, right? Yeah. But that's an artificial smell it's there yeah absolutely because there's no smell to natural gas so if there's a leak you don't want to die so that's the thing we have, oh there's this gas leak you know yeah. so we all have that i know what whiskey tastes like no you don't no you know what bourbon tastes like we've got blind or you know what sense. canadian whiskey tastes like yeah. or you know what irish whiskey tastes like or scotch but turn your mind off 
and open it up to possibilities. So I'm not. I'm like that with mezcal right now. I I, I can't, I'm not there yet with yeah. mezcal. Please let me. I've got so much uh-huh. at the house. We're in Texas. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, got I, this love strategic, yeah. I love tequila. I love tequila, and I like peated scotches. Yeah, I can't get to mezcal. So I got to open my brain more. That's right. And I've got to let it in. And I, I know I will. If if there is any function or role <laughs> I can serve, is this? I want to be the conduit for you to mezcal. I'll hold you to that. That's please do hold me to that. Well, here's an interesting parallel to that. You travel all around the world for heaven and hell. You travel talking mm-hmm. to people, which is an amazing thing to be able to connect with people all the time in different places. Yeah. But you talk about opening your mind, right? Mm-hmm. When you are out and traveling, we're in a very interesting period in American history right now. Mm-hmm. When you think about people really being accepting or not judging and just opening up with their mind, have you seen any shift in the way people interact or the way that they treat you over this past few months not not at all no whiskey's a whiskey's a bonding unilateral uh, yeah <laughs> i mean you know it seems to be whiskey is you know no i don't notice any any difference yeah. whatsoever it's yeah. weird here i don't think we will and well not i don't think not, we will at all space yeah but, but don't you think we get kind of this perception it's a little bit uh it's distilled down into making you think well it's me versus you i mean that's how everybody kind of is treating each other hmm you know, I, I, think, it's, I think it's better than it used to be. I, when I first started in the business, you had, uh, you know, if you were a, if you were a Jack drinker yeah. or a maker's drinker or a gym drinker or an Evan drinker, that's what you were. Right. Like now, right. Yeah. Now it's different. And, and I think the difference too is, is we're 10 years later now, mm. we also have a whole nother generation of drinkers that are in, you know, they were 11 then. Yeah. They're now 21. And I remember when I was growing up, this is a long time ago, this is back when my parents used to have a party and they would have a box, a big box, like almost like the size of a shoe, like half of a shoe box right. full of cigarettes. Just random Yeah, I mean, it's called a just- cigarette. And they go, uh, son, fill up the cigarette box. We're going to have people over, right? And because that's how much people smoke. Holy shit, then. really? Because you just had... And everybody had a big, you know, it was big lighters, you know, right, the right, table right. lighters. It's like a shoe. That was next, and they usually matched, and you went, you know, you would go to Taylor Trunk, or you'd go to, you know, Brookstone, and you went to Brookstone, but it'd be like yeah, your yeah. local thing, and you'd buy these things, and whatever. Um, and you always have to carry one, you know, dad would go, oh, we got to carry, we got to get a bottle of Canadian Club, because, you know, Uncle Harry, he drinks Canadian Club. Yeah. And he ain't going to drink anything else, right? That's so You crazy. don't drink anything else. Sure. Uncle Harry drank he has a Canadian, Canadian Club, Club yeah. right? So you had him. I just like, ah, it's always a pain in the ass. I got a bottle of Canadian Club for Uncle Harry. You know, because we always drank bourbon. And my dad worked in a brewery. So we had beer. Yeah. And um, my other aunts and my mom, they drank highballs, which in their mind was uh, a whiskey highball. Right, right. So right. it was whiskey and soda or whiskey and ginger or whatever in a, in a, in a, in a long glass. Um, so um, they were life sentences. Life sentences. That's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. You know, people drank gin and tonic or they drank... Canadian CC and seven or right, Seagram's right. and seven. Right, right, right. It was a life sentence, but drinkers today don't don't they don't shackle themselves to that life so sentence. It's almost the opposite. Is what you're yeah. Saying, is that people if you were a Maker's than... Mark drinker, you were. I mean, you weren't even considering, or a Jim drinker, or a right. Jack drinker, or an Evan drinker. You didn't even consider bringing another whiskey or anything into your world. Yeah. Has that changed for you when you think about who you were? As a drinker or even as a person, this doesn't have to pretend. To, has that changed as you got older? I've seen it change. I've always been a little bit, I've always drank a little bit different stuff. I grew up in a beer family, mm. and my mom and my dad 
my my dad, my grandfather was a, was one of the founders, a German saloon keeper who started a brewery in 1905 with 12 other German saloon keepers in Louisville, Kentucky. Eh? It sounds like a good like rom com somewhere in there. Yeah, <laughs> a good movie waiting. So to he didn't there. make wi- a beer, but he he was German. He was from Oldenburg, Germany, mm. and he came over to Louisville, Kentucky, and he started. Uh, he was a saloon. He owned a saloon. And then he got together with 12 other German saloon keepers who I guess they were all friends and they right. knew each other and they, they invested in this and built this brewery called Fall City Brewing Company. Louisville is on the falls of the Ohio River. Okay. So everything in Louisville is called Fall City. Got it. So you got Fall City Fence, Fall City Electric. Fall City Fall Strip City, Club. Right, right. You have to. Yeah. Fall City Beer. So, and it's still made today by, it's another guest, you know, it's, it's been sold off and the brand's been brought back. It's been great. But, um, uh, you know, my, so my dad, my dad, we always had Fall City. Yeah. And then um, he drank bourbon and he didn't drink anything over six years old. So he liked six years. He loved six years. Six year, 90 proof. That was his favorite type of bourbon. Hmm. He drank 10 high and he drank oh, Heaven Hill high, yeah. six year old 90 proof. And uh, those are the two brands he drank. But he'd drink anything. Uh, you know, you bring him a bottle of bourbon, he loved it. Uh, but he could bring, turn it away. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, but, you know, I was always a little different. I drank beer. But I liked other beers, too. Mm-hmm. I like tasting other beers. And uh, I drink, you know, any kind of whiskey. Back then, there was only a handful. Right. When I was in college, there was uh, wild turkey. We called it uh, all-white meat because of the 101. <laughs> it was a 101. Right? So we all-white all white. meat. It was the 101. Yeah. Uh, and then um, there was Jim Beam. Um, and there was a little bit of Maker's Mark. But the way they advertised back then, it was like, taste expensive and is. Oh, you know, and man. so it was, it was, they were going for that higher niche, which was awesome. Uh, but for me as a college student, I'm like, I, I need, yeah. I need this, you know, I need this, you know, seven, eight dollar bottle. Right, right. I don't need the, the 20 white something meat? dollar Can bottle. you, how, why did you call that? Is it Because of the one, one, one proof. I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All white meat. That, it was it, just something that we, and on the comedy circuit, we called it that. It was you guys that, are was clever like, little, little cheeky guys, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, this was the 80s and the 90s. So, <laughs> well, the cleverest time. of times. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, there were only a handful. And yeah. then, and, you know, I really didn't start noticing the, you know, small batch. I wasn't in the industry back then. I didn't really notice the small batch and stuff yeah. until the 90s, mid-90s. Because it was like late 80s is when it first started. Blanton's was one of the first, right? That was 84. Yeah, 84. And uh, Elijah Craig was 86. And then you had uh, Booker's in 87, 88. Yeah, something like that. And then everything started, you know, Kentucky uh, rare rare breed, right, Kentucky right. spirit. Um, uh, Woodford was the mid nineties, mm-hmm. things like that. So, well, all right. So let's mm-hmm. go back because you seem funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's good or bad. We'll see. Hey. We'll see. I am not funny. Called worse. <laughs> you when you think about growing up in Kentucky, you think about the kinds of stuff that you were into. Were you really driven in school? Were you writing skits at that point? Were you doing the Eddie Murphy thing? Were you entertaining? The no, NY? I had no idea that I was ever going to be doing anything involved with stand-up comedy whatsoever. Um, in college, college was a different time. You know, it was twenty-four dollars a credit hour. Yeah, um, you could. That's cheap. Oh my god. I amazing. mean, it was. You know, that's what state school was supposed to be. Yeah. And I, was, I was a Bernie Sanders guy, so you know, it should be affordable, <laughs> yeah. right? Bernie you shouldn't, for Bernie. You shouldn't yeah. have to get a bachelor's degree in oh eighty thousand dollars. I do it. Yeah. And you're going to get a thirty thousand dollar year job. You're going to be in death rest. I get it. Back then, you could get a summertime job and pay off your college from that year. I mean, oh, that's man. the way it was. Um, college to me was I'm going to go to college and I'm going to get a, a C average. Yeah. And I'm just going to get through it. Like experience everything you can. I just want to go to to live away from the house 
uh, meet other people yeah. and network. And where'd you, where'd you go to school? University of Kentucky. How, I went about to, how far from? Uh, I went to University of Louisville my first year. And then I, they didn't, have, it, no one lived on campus back then. Yeah. It was a commuter school. And then I visited my friends in Lexington, it's 70 miles away. Oh, jeez. And they, and I was like, this is college. You know, this is like people who li- were there on the weekend. I mean, you know, you go to U of L, there's no one there after yeah. five o'clock at night, no one on the weekend because no one lived there. But UK, it was, you know, dormitories and you lived there. And it was awesome. So it was, it was and you met people from all over the state. And, um, you know, and because uh, Louisville was looked down on because it's the big city. Most people who lived out in the state, too mainstream. Oh, we or hate what? it. We hate it there. What, what do they hate it? Big city, just because one-way streets. We don't oh, know. It's too confusing. <laughs> yeah. Too many people. You know, the country is still that way today. That's, right, right. You know, but Man, going um, back to yeah. this whole blinders thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was great, and uh, and so uh, you know, Kentucky is a great place to grow up, and Louisville's still a great place to live. But University of Kentucky was great for me. But I just just waited. I just needed a degree. Just get the hell out of there, right? My parents said they didn't care what grades I got. Just get your degree. Yeah. And I'm like, sure. I took marketing because there was a little math. That makes sense to you? Did you enjoy it at all? I loved it. Yeah. Loved it. Marketing Great experience. Was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Were you a creative? Like, because I'm trying to get a sense. Obviously, you got out in four years. Did, oh, you did. So it only took you four Thank years. Thank God for, you know. Because you're paying it off. Community colleges. I know my dad paid it. Oh, he did? Cheap okay. enough. <laughs> 800 bucks a semester or whatever it was. Yeah, I, mean, I, still, look, I still look at my, my watch like how many times I, I guess they'll pay for that shit. I was lucky. But, you know, back then you could work the summer and pay, your, pay it off. I yeah. mean, it wasn't a big deal. It's amazing. Mm. So marketing took you, took you four years. You were a minority in that sense, right? So you get out of there. What do you think? Oh, it was expected back then. That you gotta, you, if, you you, to. if, if you went to a job interview and you didn't get out of college in four years, there was a problem. There was, they asked questions. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a completely different thing. Though. Oh, and it should be, yeah. Because sometimes you, you drift. Mm-hmm. You take well, you got to pay for it yourself too. Oh yeah, it's good. And you got to work. No one worked. No, everybody went to school and you lived that on was campus. It, right? and that you, was that was job. your job. Yeah, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So getting out of there, do you have a clear sense of what it is you want to do? Absolutely not. <laughs> so it didn't help. It's just a good experience. No, I knew it wouldn't help, <laughs> but know? I knew you had to have it. So it's just a means to an end. It was it? expected. So yeah. you 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 did you did it. So what do you what are you doing when you get out of there? Uh, Working at. I worked at a bank for two and a half years. Yeah, I was a, I was a banking officer. I did loans and that kind of stuff. Hated it. I was okay at it. I was offered you know promotions and stuff, but I I said this is this is not for me. The only good thing about working in a bank is you always know the time and temperature. That's good, and the hours are always set. They're set. You're not going to work. Way they're not great, but they're set. Yeah. they're set. Did you like the people aspect of it? No, hated it. <laughs> hated everything of it. Nothing good about it. Not one good thing about it. Really? Mm-hmm. So you got out of there as fast. as Hated you. it. Got out of it. Um, and I did comedy. I did, uh, which took two years to do uh, to get full time on the road. And I did a couple of part time jobs while I did it. Then I remember meeting Jay Leno, and he said the worst thing you can do is a, is a new comic is to get a part time job. You just need to get there on the road. No Either kidding. do it or don't. What year are we talking when you hit the road? Uh, Eighty five. No kidding. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's amazing time for comedy. Yeah, it was right prevents, there. Uh, you could make it a living at. Yeah, you could. Yeah, that was the did. heyday. It was good timing. I had good timing. But I've you, had good timing in my career. Now it's a good time for bourbon. That was a good time for comedy. Who were some of the your contemporaries at that point? Oh, you name them. Uh, you uh, talk about Jay Leno, absolutely, right? Yeah, he was big. He yeah. was him and Seinfeld and uh, all of them were, were, were big back there. Gary Shan was yeah. big at that time. But my contemporaries were uh, Paula Poundstone, Drew oh, Carey, yeah. uh, yeah. Steve Harvey. I worked with all the time. Um, John Fox. Um, you know, these are people you worked with yeah uh and uh you know there was three comics uh, every week at a show the opener middle headliner mm-hmm. you shared a condo together or you were at the same hotel together so you went to the mall together we used to joke 
you know, the opener made the less, least amount of money. Right, the middle right. made the next, and the headliner made any, you know, made the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the joke was, uh, uh, we're going to go to the mall and watch the headliner buy stuff. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like stuff as simple as socks. Because you all you did everything together. You yeah. went, because you, you, you had nobody else to do things with. Yeah. So even it was like a retreat. And, you know, it was like you, you lived together. You went to the grocery together. You cooked together. In the same, you're in the same three-bedroom condo. <clears throat> yeah, and then um, you you experience the shows together because yeah. you're you're a team that week. So the opener sets the you know is the opener the middle, uh, you know makes the gets the crowd to a good point for the headliner and the headliner takes it home. Yeah, but the, that was good. But then you'd have middles who wanted to bury the headliner to to prove that they could headline. The egos come but that, through. That's right. not being a team player. Right, right. You wanted to make the show good, not individual. So you, it is a you, team sport. Are you like a power forward or are you a point guard? Depending on if you're opening, middle, or in headlining. Got it. Okay. You had to play different parts. Makes sense. Now, the, some people would say, well, you've got to be aggressive and you've got to always be the headliner. Well, hell, I'd get a hell of a lot more work being the I was, a, I was mostly a middle act. So was Drew Carey, by the way. Yeah. He knew his, but you have to have 45 minutes to an hour, which means you have to have an hour and a half, two hours worth of material to, or to pull, pull that off. Right. So I would, you get to where, you have headliners. You could, I found I could get more work by the headliner going, I want to work with Bernie. Got it. Okay. I want him because I wasn't a dirty act. I knew my place. I could set it up just perfect for the headliner. Yeah. And I found it was better to be busy and I could make the same amount of money as if I headlined. I'd work half as much, I got you, I got but I make you. twice as much money. So you're smart. You I don't know about shit. that, but I was I needed to eat. <laughs> You're too. shrewd. But I was full. I did a living. I did a living for full time for yeah. almost twenty years. That's so amazing. you know, I, you know. What, so yeah. if you could, and God forbid, right? But if you <laughs> could define your approach to comedy, what is something that you find funny? Oh, I'm an observational comic, so yeah. it was kind of like the um, Bill Cosby without the roofers, you know, right. roofing, <laughs> the um, roofies. Um, a lot of espresso, but no drugs. You know the uh, the, the conversational. Yeah. You know, I could take a I could take one bit and make it into a five minute bit. I could take one line and turn it into five minutes. But you but you're still not a huge fan of people, though, right? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> See how you do things. I'm not trying to cut no, it together. I'm, I'm just saying if the bank. The only people who come into banks are desperate because they need a loan, right? Or they're rich and they want a very cheap loan and they can get it because they're. They're rich yeah, and yeah. they can do it, and they just scribble their name down because they don't give. A, you know, they, they're just. They're, it's just a way for them to. Yeah, they're to get easy money to. Right, 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 right. Right. The bank is not a people thing. <laughs> okay, it's the people who came in the bank. The reason I came, but the reason I didn't like it. I see. It's not that I didn't like people. Yeah. I didn't like the people who came in the bank and the reasons they came in the bank. Yeah, you know. And then you had other people who were just playing games, who couldn't afford to have a checking account, but they did. And but then I was. It was my job to, to chase down the the. Uh, no, uh, bounce checks and, and all that Got kind of you. stuff. So that's just everything. Everything that I so did was not, negative. The, it's not the good piece <clears throat> of society. Are enjoyable. Banks are just horrible places. They are horrible. <laughs> I know. I try not to go in. If I can take a picture of my check to deposit. How many people now do online banking just because it's everybody. easy? Now, banking is important. Sure. And I have a bank, and I know everybody at my bank because I think it's important to know your people at your bank. But that's I don't right. want to work there. Yeah. Fuck it. Yeah. So. You like people, though, and you observe yeah. things. Yeah. I mean, I'm in bars all the time. Obviously, I love people. Yeah, that's a good point. Bar people are much more fun than bank people. Yeah, a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. Well, the bourbon doesn't hurt. Yeah, I'd rather, I'd rather be out on a... In my favorite nights to go out have always been, and ever will be, Sundays and Mondays. Perfect. Because you can talk to the bartender behind the bar. Yeah. They're not that busy. 
You can talk to the regulars and they just, they, they work at a bar usually or they're, you know, they're servers from a restaurant or something. I always enjoy, Saturday night of a night to me, I've always hated. Saturday night of the week is the New Year's Eve of the week. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. amateur night. Absolutely. So if someone's talking to you, they're looking over your shoulder because they want to, you know, try to get laid over there. They want to do this or the other. It's not, it's, but every other night of the week is better. It's much better. Yeah. So did you find that... <coughs> It seems like, at least from what I understand about the history of comedy, especially in the mid-'80s, all these guys mm-hmm. you're talking about. The heyday of the hey, heyday It was a really – Bill Hicks was around a little bit later. I worked with Bill Hicks. Did you really? Absolutely. Bill Hicks, Ron Schock, uh, worked with all those guys. Worked with Ron Schock many, many times. No kidding. Yeah. Or they, uh, Jack Mayberry from Lubbock, Texas. No one of the shit. One of my favorite – uh, guys still around. He's still uh, his Facebook posts are very funny. Yeah. Um, very, uh, but Jack is uh, was a writer for the Tonight Show. He did Ross Perot back in the day on the no Tonight kidding. Show. He was yeah. he, he played that character. He was a big writer. Still one of the best writers I've ever worked with in my life. Jack Mayberry, uh, Ron Schock. Uh, I worked with Bill Hicks like uh, six months before he died. No kidding. Mm-hmm. In you, uh, West in uh, Florida. Do you? What is the, what's the the mile marker? What's the dimension of success at that point from what i understand it is playing the tonight show right that was the thing that said all right you've kind of made it you've been touring what was your goal my goal was to be a working stand-up comic and i achieved that goal yeah um my goal was never to be on tv some people's goal was to be on tv some people's goal was to be was to be um uh famous real fast Right, right and they did that's always it's not always the best to be famous real no, but fast. you're right it takes look at sinbad everybody. sinbad i remember working with sinbad great guy he seems like a killer guy. super yeah. nice guy he's when you when you'd be with him in the condo he would be in his in his room and he had a picture of eddie murphy and he'd go and this was his mantra right i'm coming after you no shit. i am gonna be bigger than you and that was his goal yeah yeah and he did a really great job and then it's hard to stay up there a long time yeah you know i worked with the uh, Blake Clark's one of my most favorite guys to work with. Um, he was uh, the he owned he he uh, owned the hardware store on Tool Time. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was on several movies and stuff like that. Vietnam vet was lieutenant in Vietnam, and boy, just the best times were working with him, sharing a cigar, and we both have a cigar in West Palm Beach, Florida, walking around at night. And here's a guy who was a lieutenant in Vietnam. Mm. He'd been in battles. He'd seen many men die. Been shot at, killed many people, uh, and I mean, never talked about it too much. But he'd we'd walk and he'd go, "Just what is this all about?" One of the best comics and writers out there. Yeah. But afterwards, just feeling and hearing, he's searching for why this all happened and like a meaning. It's all going own. somewhere, and yeah. you know, I was just I was just enthralled with being around him. Uh, he's one of the best, you know, was one of the best times was being somewhere searching. Yeah, the meaning of it's life, almost, you know, is awesome. Well, especially in the drudgery of touring, anything, whether it's music, whether it's comedy, there is the routine to it. Mm-hmm. There is the you're in a different city in a different night every Absolutely. day. Absolutely. When yeah. you work with Brett Leak and Jeff Caldwell, two of my favorite um, uh, pairings, yeah, they work together a lot. Um, and extremely great writers. Jeff Caldwell's still out there. He's been, um, you know, he's been on. He was on. Uh, late show with david letterman a couple yeah. of times brett brett has a uh, muscular dystrophy and oh, so man. here's a guy who it's hard for him to get around yet he works the road yeah. not so much anymore uh too much he still does it's it was hard for him to walk to the stage he still did he would make one joke about 
muscular dystrophy. And then it was just pure, beautiful, yeah. thoughtful writing and delivery. Amazing. So Which comedy kind of disarm the audience yeah. in a way, right? Comedy is different because you had good writers yeah. who were not good performers, great performers who were not good writers. Okay. But in order to be a successful comic for a long period of time, you've got to be a good writer and a good performer. Right. Not everybody was. Yeah, it's hard. So that's why you had, and Drew Carey was, you know, he had kind of, a, kind of this character with this buzz haircut and this kind of a Blues, Blues Brothers Very kind of a time. suit yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, thing. And uh, he never could, he just knew his spot, but he, he was, we all knew he was going to be a star. Yeah. Just knew it. Good writer. A great writer, a good, great performer, great guy. And just super nice guy, down to earth guy, right? Cleveland, yeah. Parma, Ohio, and uh, didn't even let things get him down. Uh, he was supposed to go on the uh, Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, yeah, and he's one of the few guys that got asked to come over to the couch right after his yeah. first performance. Oh wow! Uh, but uh, he could have let this derail him, and he never did. He was supposed to go on, and there was a big writer strike, mm. so his performance it's, was was postponed for about a year. Oh no! But he's still, and he didn't let that get him down. And when he went back on, he nailed it, and he got it, and he just is. I mean, he had two uh, number one shows in prime time on network. It's amazing, yeah. You know, the Drew Carey Show and Whose Line Is It Anyway? And who's got that? And now he's got his dream job, which is hosting Price Is Right. Price Is Right. You know, which he can ride off into the sun. He's rich. He doesn't need to do that. He wants to do that. Watching people jump up and down about it's like this. I mean, this isn't a job to me. I wanted this is awesome. I don't have you know this. People ask me, why do you give up comedy to do this? I don't think that's a... And I'm like, I just, I do it. My, I just perform for eight people. Yeah, exactly. It's just the crowd's just day. different. You know, I wasn't performing, but I, I want to make it entertaining. I want to make it, you know, as a writer, I know that I can take a complicated, I think I can take a complicated subject yeah. like bourbon and whiskey and make it not only informative, but entertaining. That's, yeah, definitely. And that's what I brought to the table because when I came in from comedy to this job, I didn't know anything about whiskey yeah but uh but knew something about people and I about did. reading and, and, I, and i'm stuff. from kentucky i knew i had the pedigree yeah so you know if, if i went on the road and i was like well i'm from there and then like when i worked with fred no and jimmy and eddie russell they they kind of said hey you know if you ever need to know anything just you know ask yeah. away and blah 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 and uh, greg davis from makers mark you know if you don't know it now you know us so you know it yeah so just it, text us and we'll we'll tell you the answer that's right because the, the hard part is being comfortable being up there isn't it because jimmy it, russell says it yes and that's one thing that a lot of people didn't have and the, the distillers didn't have because they weren't they're in the they lab all talkers. the time yeah so i had that advantage to come in and be in fr- comfortable in front of people and i could crack a few jokes and then i'd learn it as i went mm. and now i'm 11 years into it i've i do know quite a bit i don't know i mean jimmy russell said he learns things every day he's been in 60 years right I don't even think that I have 10% of what he knows. But that's good. That's humility. That but I know something just... else. I mean, I do know other things that they don't know yeah. that I can throw in. Sure. Um, and that I have studied and I've made my own. Reading labels is one of my things, the, the laws and the reading labels. Yeah, TTV, man. Tell you. Making that, uh, you know, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey bottle and bond, you mm-hmm. know, those seven words are very important. Um, I do know... Uh, um, you know, those kind of things and what brings it to, you know, names on labels, just little things like right, that. Right, right. Who are these names on labels? Did, did you find, so, so a couple things before we talk about what mm-hmm. this, maybe this aha moment where you step into the whiskey world. So first thing is, who do you find funny now? Cause that is a still defining part. In comedy? Yeah, in comedy. You know, I'm so, I'm so separated from it. 
yeah. I don't know a whole lot, but Louis C.K. Yeah, of course. And so funny. So I'm talking to my buddy. I, my buddies will come through, and I rarely go to comedy clubs anymore because it's painful for me. Sure. Painful memories, through. I'm sure. Well, no, 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 no. It's just painful for me to sit through a show. Oh, uh, okay, okay. And unless it's a friend of mine. Yeah. And then I want to watch their show, and I want to listen to all their jokes, even though I've heard them. I loved studying their delivery, and yeah, that's what yeah. I used to watch every show, eight to ten shows a week, and that's how I learned yeah. comedy, was to learn from the best. And I wouldn't just be back in the bar or in the green room. I'd right. watch every show. Very engaged. Because I wanted to learn. How do you handle a crowd? How do you handle a heckler? How do you keep a role going? How yeah. do you keep it? And you can't keep that up. Where do you slow it down? Where do you, you can, bring them back? Well, you're the maestro, right? So you have to Yeah, but you that. can't keep them up on this high for 45 minutes. You've yeah. got to take them on a roller coaster ride. They can't be laughing their asses off for 45 minutes. You've got to have a little lull. So, um, and checks come out. How do you handle that? When the check comes out 20 minutes before the show's over, and how do you power through that and still keep their attention and don't lose them? So a lot of things to learn. Crowd control, which is a great thing for this job. Um, but uh, it's hard for me to watch Friends now. But I went and watched a friend of mine, and he's like, he goes, remember when Lewis, you and you were, we were in uh, you know, Virginia Beach, and Lewis was there, and I'm like, Lewis? What are you doing? He goes, oh, Lewis. And he goes, Louis C.K. I'm like, what? <laughs> he goes, I said, that was Louis C.K.? <laughs> he's gained a, a bit of weight. It's, he's like, yeah, looks I said, a little I, said different. I remember Lewis, but I don't remember Louis C.K. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently I worked with Louis C.K., but, but it was Louis. I knew him as Louis. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, I mean, it, that's an amazing thing to think there's so many of us that were just kind of a fly on the wall in a way where this magic thing was happening, whether yeah. it was music or whether it was comedy. I mean, you think about 85 mm -hmm. and all the things that were happening and all the careers that were made during that time that we didn't even know until the 90s. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a really formative. Howie Mandel. Exactly. Howie Mandel before Mark he Maron, was all weird roughly. and wouldn't shake your hand. And like, Mark Maron, yeah. Mark, yeah. Mark Maron. Which is, you know, an mm -hmm. impetus for this whole yeah. thing. Well, so, okay. So that makes some sense. Were you ready to leave it? Were you ready to step into something Absol else? Absolutely. I needed health insurance. <laughs> and, was, you know, I was 45 years, 45 years old. I um, didn't have any savings. I needed, I knew that I was going to have to get into something that would make me enough money, steady money. Comedy is like being a farmer. I mean, if you could, you could have all your weeks booked, but if the club's closing, if something, I mean, you lose that week, it's a week of income you've lost. And so I needed something more reliable. Yeah. I needed to start paying into Social Security and different different uh, things I never paid. You Does know, the word paid adult, very little. Is that is that a fair word? Like sure. you think about adult. Got to grow up. You got to yeah. grow up a little bit. And um, but I needed to reinvent myself. Got it. And so I wrote a one man play, which was awesome. What was so one of my? I, you wouldn't have heard it. No, no but what is it called? It's, it's called I'll Take Manhattan and a Martini Too. Yeah, it's about a, I played a ninety year old actor from the golden age of Hollywood. Who what did the, the gold best? age? 30s? Oh, 40s? back in the, he worked with, uh, you know, Betty Davis and, oh, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, Judy Bogart, Garland maybe, and right? Bogart. Yeah, went, yeah. Went, went shallow sea fishing with Humphrey mm. Bogart, you know, shallow sea fishing. He was uh, English. He was uh, based on, um, you know, uh, James Mason, my favorite yeah, character. Yeah, you know, Stewie's uh, actor. based on James Mason. Yeah. yeah. Too, yeah. And so based, his voice and his kind of persona is based on it. But the, the, uh, the idea of the play is he's the, he did 200 films. He was the best B actor in the in the world, <laughs> yeah. and he made uh, he made uh, uh, you know uh, twelve moderately disgruntled men, you know, <laughs> films like that, uh, like Roger Corman style <laughs> stuff. That's it like, was uh, it was it was set in in, in March, not as hot, not, right? Not so gone <laughs> so, with the wind, still there so after the wind. You knew he was a fictional person, right? Right. right. 
but you knew these people existed. It was the best B actor in the world. But, but Humphrey Bogart, um, Judy Garland, Betty Davis, they all wanted him to come to their party when they had a party because he was the best guy to have around. Yeah, yeah. He had all the stories. He knew everyone. He lived <laughs> next door to Shirley... Uh, um, uh, 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 from Shirley Persign McClay? Adventure. Uh, 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 Shirley Shrift. Ah. Uh, 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 anyway... He knew Roddy McDowell. He lived uh, oh, next man. door to yeah. all these people. You know, he, I mean, he played cards. He did this kind of stuff. So he knew all the stories, which were made up. But there was always a little bit of fix. So that was the play, and it's still a great, still would be a great play if yeah. anybody there wants to produce a play. I've got the perfect play. But um, I did that. I played music in bars. I played solo. Uh, you know, I played guitar and sing. Yeah. So I would do Brown Eye Girl. I do all the. You know, uh, heard it through the grapevine. Yeah, I do all yeah. that kind of stuff, and I played four hour gigs in did bars. You, had you been playing since you were a kid? Then playing. Guitar? I played since college. Oh, okay. okay. Mm-hmm. I played the organ. Oh, growing nice. up Leslie never, Rotary never, organs uh, the, the, what's that the Leslie Rotary organs you the Leslie it was a oh. Thomas organ which oh, had a yeah. Leslie speaker uh, Leslie was a, made the speakers yeah uh, but yeah but I, so I, but I, I knew I couldn't play the organ at college I needed to buy so I bought a guitar I bought a Yamaha guitar uh, acoustic and I played guitar and I learned from, uh, James Taylor taught me how to finger pick and J- Jim Croce you know, yeah, the, yeah, you know yeah, I just yeah. listened to those records and he had the songbooks remember you could buy the songbooks oh yeah and um, learned from that um, so I started playing in bars and I'm like, you know, I'm an entertainer, but I can make 150 bucks a night, you know, playing music. And I'm yeah. like, it's not bad. You can make 150 bucks a night. It's you know, good enough, right? You know, sometimes you make 75 if it's during the week, yeah. you know, on the weekend solo act, you can make 150, uh, during the week and be anywhere from 40 to 75 bucks. Mm. You put a, five of those nights together. It's not bad. Okay. You yeah. know, it was a bookmark until I figured out what I wanted to do. Was this know? in Kentucky? Did you? Yeah. yeah. yeah Louisville. So a home base is always still in Louisville. Yeah, yeah, for comedy and everything. Comedy was a great place for a home because you were within a five-hour drive of anywhere. Yeah. So, you, could, so had you – I think there's, there's often this uh, dichotomy with being on the road and kind of being creative and pursuing that piece where you don't necessarily get to do family stuff. Mm-hmm. Had you pursued starting a family? Had you got never, married or any of that stuff? Never. Always been a single guy. Yeah. And you, you can never do – I've saw too many marriages break up from the comedy world. Yeah. And unless uh, – I just wasn't – no, no. I just never been a relationship guy. Performer so. though, it's good. It gives you a sense yeah, of uh, sense of freedom, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of selfish, I guess. But um, you're you know, not this hurting is what it now, is. Right? Yeah, <laughs> just, just just your liver. I mean, that's the only thing that's yeah. taking a beating every day. Yeah. So what do you know? It was it was awesome. And then uh, and then this opportunity came up. So I had a I had a routine in my act about my dad who drank a quart of bourbon a day. Yeah. And I would always tell people now order a shot of. Bourbon. They go, are you buying? I'm like, I'm not buying. I'm a comedian. I can't afford it. But y'all, you I get a shot. What the fuck and I get an order. Them. And then we did a toast to my dad. It was like a 10-minute routine about my dad who drank a quart of bourbon a day. Mm. Lived to be 94. Cancer can't exist in a bourbon-ridden environment. So mm-hmm. he lived to be 94. And um, the whole thing. So um, uh, it became a part of my show. And people got to know you know, about this bit in my act that I did. And the, the guy who worked at um, uh, one of the distilleries, who works for our company now, he was like, man... Why don't you order our brand? Yeah. He worked at Jim Beam at the time. So yeah. order, have, have a, what does it take for him, you to have everybody order Jim Beam? What, I'm not good enough I'm like, give me some shirts, man. <laughs> right. Give me some something. You know, give me something. Yeah, yeah. And he'd take me to lunch once a month. Whatever. And then when a job came up to do events and promotions in Kentucky uh-huh. for Jim Beam, he said, we would like you to interview for this. And he goes, you know, you're good with people. You right. got a good personality. You Work know how to do and so, you know, it's little bars just like this. You know, it's like being in a bar. Right. And I would, you know, promote the brands. That's incredible. And so I did that. 
And because I was like, was it five bucks an hour? Is it a job? He goes, no, it's a job. It's got health insurance. I'm like, oh, I need health insurance. Ah, uh, yes. Because you know, health insurance was seven hundred fifty dollars a month God, back then insane. for me. Right, right. And so, um, so then, uh, so we did that, and um, then uh, the, the state manager for he did me a great favor, old grizzle guy, Tommy. Yeah. So Tommy goes, what are you gonna do after this? I'm like, what do you mean after this? I'm working here. Right. Goes, well, you're working for a marketing company for a distillery. Uh, he goes, not, these not jobs last six months. I'll be surprised if you're here six months from now. I'm like, you're yeah. kidding me. I thought I'd made it. I thought I'm here. I'm yeah. working. He goes, hell no. So I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to be the best I can possibly. I want to be the best promoter of whatever. Right. And then I was like, I mean, time I, and most of I was promoting was bourbon brands from Kentucky. I said, you know, I better learn about this. Sure. So then I started learning. And then um, the master of store at the time said, handed me a copy of the, of the uh, standards of identity from the TTB, mm. um, Tax and Trade Bureau, which defines, he goes, if you don't know this, son. You don't have the foundation. You, need to get, you, you just need to know the laws, yeah. first of all, first and foremost. And that's when I started teaching that words on labels mean things. Yeah. And the word Kentucky, straight bourbon whiskey, if there's an age on it, if there's a word bottle and bond right and it's still what i teach today it's yeah, the most no, important thing big, you can teach it was definitely an undercurrent mm -hmm. to the the narrative yeah. of the heaven hill stuff when we're yeah. stepping through and know? i barely touched on it today but it's still i mean i i, I pulled out those are the laws yeah. i carried I, i'm the only person ambassador i know that carries around the law <laughs> the law is always on your back it seems like because they're here because yeah. you know, you know, if there's a question i mean their laws are interpreted i don't know all of them i yeah. don't memorize all of them right I think I'm most of them memorized by now, but still there's a question. I'm like, let's look at the laws. Yeah. And so it's fascinating because, you know, you can interpret the laws too. That's why they hire lawyers, you know? Right. So, you know, that, just cause I read it one way doesn't mean that's what it is. So it's interesting to, See, to, to bring. Differ. Yeah. So what are we talking when you kind of got, cause I imagine the next step is someone says, we're going to do this for real. We're going to offer you a real job. What year are we talking at that? So it was a year and a half after, I do events and promotions. The brand manager for the small batch collection, she said, I want you to be an ambassador for this brand because at the time, Fred No, uh, Jim Beam's great-grandson, his picture went on the side of the Jim Beam label. So he was going to be talking about that and going when he went on the road, he'd be talking about Jim Beam. But they needed, this is when the small batch and single barrel bourbons were starting to get looked at. Right, right. And so this is what, 2006? mid 2006 2007 wow different state different era and bourbon, so the yeah. yeah it still wasn't popular it still wasn't you know it was just people were looking at them and they were just something was happening but they don't know what it was it really yeah. the volume wasn't their small brands these right, are right, you know right. and then so i did that i was too dumb to be scared and i was like because <laughs> i've already been told i had a job for six months right. so you know what yeah. can i lose right That's i'm a comedian right. i'm used to losing a job every every week yeah, right? yeah. so it was awesome, and she. Uh, I've always been very lucky, even today at Heaven Hill, and that you know my bosses are like kind of Warren Buffett, you know, hire them and let them go. Mm -hmm. And I think that's you know if you trust the people that work for you, um, and it's been great uh, since then. Uh, it's been awesome. Um, then I was um, uh, at uh, Heaven Hill. The guy who hired me at Jim Beam right. came over to work at Heaven Hill, and he was there, huh. bourbon ambassador. And then he was, he found an opportunity, because he's more of a salesperson, he was awesome at what he did. He found a great niche over at Heaven Hill for, for this position, and then he was offered, he, he always wanted to be the sales manager for Kentucky, for Kentucky. He became the sales manager for Kentucky and Tennessee, which he yeah. still is now, and he said, well, you need to get Bernie 
for for this so they so they, the they hired me away from from jim beam to come to heaven that's hill incredible. and it's been awesome it's been four and a half years both are incredible companies that make great whiskeys but i'm sure feel at home here it's an amazing shift i mean mm. you you represent something completely different here you know mm. you're, you're you and you started this whiskey prof site that's right whiskeyprof.com i'm the whiskey professor oh thank you so um i'm known you know i'm the i'm the, I'm the brand i'm the i'm the global whiskey uh, brand ambassador, yeah. but I'm known as the whiskey professor, which is an interesting thing. Do you? Because I teach. Yeah, you do. Well, you do. I mean, I, you yeah. know how to perform. You know how to write, which mm -hmm. means you know how to organize written, data. The brand team has not written one word for me. I've written every one of my presentations. It's amazing. I've They've seen, never I've, said, "Hey, you need." No, oh, they'll tell me here. We need to, you know, we need to talk about this, right? Anything, right. But you know, they just let me do what I do. Do you? Because there's the. I'll put it this way. So I don't have a PowerPoint. <laughs> right, right. Just the serious. <laughs> but like, so we think of Seinfeld, right? So Seinfeld went. He reached this particular uh, apex of success with a TV show and doing stand-up and stuff. But the thing is, like, in a way, you've diversified your skills into the world of whiskey, which embraces you in a whole different way. It's a different. And he's done it twice. Yeah. You know, he he gave up the road to yeah. do Seinfeld. That's right. Oh, that's right. That's right. Because he was doing. He was but he doing just great, right? did something else, yeah. and now he did comedians and cars getting coffee. Oh yeah, which is, a which is just a passion. Thing. Because yeah. he likes cars, and he likes comedians, and he likes to talk to them. Did you did you, you know? ever see the Gary Shandling one that he did? Yes. Uh. And Gary Shandling talking about dying. Mm-hmm. Uh. Like how fortuitous it was. Yeah, yeah. Was that, was that crazy? That one, and then when he uh, uh, Kramer. Yeah. When he, oh, Michael. Richards, you know, yeah. and that's a real uh, glimpse. And he goes, man, you know, and you can just tell he was beaten down. And you know, he's like, you know, and I under, I feel sorry for him because you know, as a, he was not a comic. Yeah. And he panicked. On a comedy stage, you could see it, and he went for the line Man. to just not drown. Right, and this was right when smartphones were just coming out, and it just it just blows everything. He didn't up. mean yeah. it. I don't think I don't think he meant anything yeah. with any malice. Came out wrong. Yeah. The wrong thing to say, but you know, it was an unfortunate thing. You know, yeah. but, but he's also got you know four hundred million dollars, which is different. That's you a know. bad. <laughs> <laughs> you don't feel too bad for him. But, you know, he has to go out into society yeah. and he has to be able to, to, you know, to be happy as a person. So and, when uh, you when you talk about maybe what is the, uh, again, kind of reshaping and rebranding, and I'm, I'm not trying to make that sound cold, but you've got the whiskey professorship. I branded you, it. Absolutely. It's, it it's is, fine. right? I mean, you're a smart guy. I can tell how you use I mean, I reinvented skills. myself. When, when, I, when I became the whiskey professor, it was powerful because I'm like, oh, it's like Judy Tenuta. Yeah. Or, oh, yeah. Or, you know, uh, Haywood Banks or Emo Phillips. Yeah. I am playing a character. That's right. So I am the whiskey professor who is bigger than life, yeah. who knows everything about whiskey, which I don't. But, you know, <laughs> you come out and you're this, you're this soup, bourbon superhero. Yeah. You know? And then you got to grow into it. So I'm not as over the top as I used to be because I know more now. Yeah. I don't have to be. But at first, I mean, I, you know, that's why I came up with the boots. Yeah, I saw and the boots. Where, and my belts are always cool because yeah. I wanted. I, I noticed that the Scotch guys at a whiskey show they always had kilts on. And I'm yeah. like, you can look across the room or a bar and go, that guy knows something about Scotch whiskey. Yeah, you uh, visually identify them with. It. So I wanted my kilt. Yeah. So my kilt is a branded shirt, jeans, and cowboy boots with the with, usually with my brand on. Yeah. How how many days would you say you're spending out there on the road preaching the gospels of whiskey? I travel uh, three weeks a month. Um, wow. You know, four to three to five days a week. So not much uh, has changed one. since the nineties. I, I so do, it's like doing stand-up <laughs> comedy. That's why I do this lifestyle. Hardest part about doing this is lifestyle, and I already had the lifestyle for twenty years. Yeah. Do you find it's hard to balance 
maybe your health at this point versus drinking and it's it's around. uh it's becoming uh something i think about yeah i always uh, look for a day i cannot drink yeah somebody says i, I told a friend of mine i said you know i think i'm gonna take the day off today and just drink beer yeah. <laughs> You know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna. I'm gonna drink. I'm not gonna eat a T-bone. It's a skirt steak for me yeah, today. Yeah. I mean, you look for your little thing. You know. You know. I'm 57 now, wow. and um, you think about it. Yeah. But you don't think about it too much. You, you know, feel it. I work out. Dude, I, oh, good, good. Absolutely, you feel it. But um, like Jimmy Russell today, I still put Jimmy Russell against any college fraternity, and I mean the whole fraternity. <laughs> if he went out drinking, and he's 82. Yeah. If he went out drinking. He would be the last man standing and drinking and not slurring, and every fraternity brother would be comatose on the ground. That's amazing. <laughs> do, do you ever kind of get a sense, and this is, this is something I wanted to ask you here about Parker in a second, but mm -hmm. being around those guys that have been drinking bourbon, crafting it, living that lifestyle for so long, do you feel like you still got a lot to do to be able to keep up with those guys? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, not just to keep up with them. I'm... In, in, they're the gods. Yeah, I'm just a, a dude. The, you know what? what, what are, it was the gods, and there was something else uh, in Greek mythology. Yeah, the, oh, the, the underlings. Yeah, right. You know, I can never be the god, and I have to be resigned to that. You know, I don't want to be a distiller. I, I've told Craig and Parker Beam, Park, God rest his soul, but you know, and Fred and and Jimmy, I said I don't. I said being a distiller, that's boring. That you guys have the most boring job in the world. And they laugh. Watching the paint Because they, you know, they know yeah. I totally respect them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm like, you know me, I got to be out. I got to be in a, you know, I got to be in a different place every week. I, you know, I need different. Yeah, I yeah. said, your only job is to make sure that that whiskey comes off every second the same exact way as it did the second before. Yeah. Nothing in your world changes. You have to keep the temperatures in that fermenter the same. Right. And if something deviates, something's wrong. I said, you have the worst job in the world. Everything, you're absolutely And they right. laugh. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can never do what they do. Yeah. Now, the difference is they can do what I do. <clears throat> they can go out and talk about it. Yeah. But the difference is they can be not a very good speaker, but just being Parker Beam. Right. Parker was able to, Parker was not a boisterous or didn't command a room with his voice he commanded his room by being parker yeah standing up as parker beam as a distiller for 56 years you know i'd have to go hey ladies and gentlemen we're starting if i can have your attention can we all just uh, look up this way i'm talking now yeah. parker would just stand there and it would get quiet that's amazing now that's something that, that i'll never have when right? you, <laughs> we so we recently and I, I, I hope it's not disingenuous as a guy who didn't know Parker, um, but definitely respected the work, right? Enjoyed the. You can never be it. disingenuous if you're talking positively about Parker Bean. Yeah, he did some just amazing things for whiskey. Yeah. and for bourbon. These are guys who never, you know, in nineteen when he started in nineteen sixty, you were just an employee of the company. Yeah, there was no, you, there was nobody was going. Who's the master distiller? Yeah, first of all, that's no, a made-up term, master I, distiller. I totally agree. Yeah, those guys. Just call themselves distillers. Yeah, because that's that's the same difference. There's no such thing as a master distiller. That You're was not. a term that marketing came up. Somebody came up with this right. somewhere in the 80s or 90s. I, I don't know. I have to ask where this came from, but they didn't come up with it. Right. It's self-reverent, reverential, or referential. Because in their world, you know, there's only a handful of what I would call master distillers. Yeah. Because that means you you need you can get on your hands and knees, walk through all the pipes, 
you know, it's like, remember Galaxy Quest? Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, they're trying to figure Baltazar out how the engine or whatever, works. he's yeah. on, he goes, hey, the captain knows every rivet of his ship, everything. That's, right. That's yeah. a master distiller. Yeah, you know, yeah. you can walk, I mean, Tommy Croom over at Jim Beam, he was one of the behind-the-scenes unsung heroes. You know, the guys that run it every day uh. who aren't the master distillers, but he worked for Booker, no, you know, Booker for, you know, he was taught by Booker. And, and uh, Tommy could walk through with duct tape and paper clips and fix a distillery. It's amazing. And keep it running till they got it fixed. Yeah. You know, really fixed, but he could keep it going because you know it's, it's continuous. Still, you got to keep you know right. It, yeah, it, yeah. It shuts you got down. no choice. It so keeps that's and he wasn't called the master distiller, but in my mind, Tommy's a master distiller, and yeah. he is now. He's over in a different story now, but there's not many of those guys around. No, there's not. And even Denny Potter, who works for our company, yeah, he's been doing this 17 years. He goes, I'm just a kid. Yeah, you yeah. know, I'm the new kid. Well, compared to 1960, you know, right. and he's worked at many distilleries, and he's got all 17 years of experience, and he won't. Even call, I mean, Danny, Colin, if you're, let me know if I'm wrong, but I mean, he's got a reverence for all those guys, but yeah. you know, they don't, P Craig Parker, he's a distiller. Yeah. Park, well, Parker would say he's a farmer first. <laughs> when, <laughs> if we, I know, I, or I'm rather, I'm, I'm pretty sure you spent some time with Parker mm -hmm. and all that I think, you know, I want to know, I've seen some interviews with him, some video interviews and things. Seems like a very humble, very gentle guy. Absolutely. Sipping and drinking bourbon with Parker. What is, as a guy who will never be a fly in that room, on that mm -hmm. wall, what was maybe those those experiences like with him? Well, you didn't, you didn't talk about the bourbon a whole lot. Yeah. He just say, taste this. And he tastes and he goes, now that's good. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, that's good bourbon. That yeah. was always his line, you know. Parker, if you came up to Parker and said, "Hey, Parker, you know, I got that. I get that banana note in this in this um, uh, Elijah Craig." Yeah. He goes banana. He goes, I didn't put no banana in there. <laughs> he goes, if you're tasting banana, I did something wrong. Right? And he'd do that because he knows you're tasting different things. Yeah. But he would just and then he. But his point was, he goes, "I taste good bourbon." Yeah. And that was always his line. And Jimmy will say the same thing, and Booker would say to Fred, they all say the same thing. I kind of, I don't talk about tasting notes much. When I did the whole tasting of that, I, mention, I, yeah. I said, you know, it has that traditional vanilla, honey, caramel up front with that spice. Yeah, that's about it. Um, they knew what good bourbon tastes like, and more importantly, he knew what bad new mate tastes like. Yeah, before it went in the barrel, not going to put it in the barrel if it doesn't taste like what it's supposed to taste like. Right, right. Um, he wasn't. They're simple people. They're farmers. They, they're, you know, family man. Yeah, I yeah. mean, Craig Beams his son. Yeah, and um, uh, his wife Linda and uh, a daughter, and um, and his cows. I mean, his cattle, like two hundred head of cattle. I mean, uh, Larry uh, Cass with our company. The first time he ever worked with them, and they traveled together on a whiskey fest. Parker was late. He was he. They were going to New York for whiskey fest. And Parker wasn't at the airport. And so Larry gets on the plane and goes, oh, you know, God, you know, because Parker's driving an, an hour from right. Bardstown. And here he comes down the aisle of the airplane. And he goes, Parker, where have you been? And Larry's from New York City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, totally different <laughs> and he's pace. Like, he's like, where are you? Why are you late? Yeah. He goes, well, a calf's head was stuck in the fence. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, well, <laughs> he goes, couldn't you get somebody else? <laughs> to get the cow's calf's head out of the fence, you got a flight. And of course, Larry goes, and of course he could, and of course he wouldn't. Yeah. Because he's Parker. He wanted to get the calf's head out of the fence. Himself. Because that's who knew how to do that without causing harm to the He knew he'd get to the airport. Yeah. 
he knew he was the one you know parker knew what had to be done he was the one that could do it and he did it with modesty and he did it with grace and he made some of the best whiskeys in the world but you know that's what you do things you don't i mean that's how life is yeah right and we are better for it Mm -hmm. we understand whiskey better than we ever could have because of these i mean just because your brother-in-law is a neurosurgeon yeah and then says you know you know i'm a whiskey fan let's let's open a distillery and buys a distillery and buy buy calls vendome and you get a still delivered and then he says you're the master distiller and i see these craft guys and they go well i'm the master distiller you're not the master of anything yeah you're a distiller right who's learning at the very beginning point of the i've seen master distillers oh yeah you've been there you know it's like uh uh, you know, you know, I knew Jack Kennedy and you're not Jack Kennedy. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I knew Parker yeah. Beam and you're not Parker Beam. Yeah. I know Jimmy Russell. You're no Jimmy Russell. You're you no know, Jimmy Russell. You yeah. know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I knew Fred. No, I don't know Booker, but you know, Hey, don't call yourself master. If you just, today's your first day, mm. you know, you got a while now you're a distiller. I'm not taking anything away from you. No, man. But, I'm you know, not call. but don't come out of the Dude, gate come on. saying you're a master. I'm not a master or anything. Yeah, yeah. I'm still learning. I mean, your brother all bought you a still. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We all are still learning. <laughs> we have to kind of admit And this that. is no um, hit on any craft distiller. No, I'm just saying, we've been doing it. It's marketing you know, stuff, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It's a useless term. Mm-hmm. It's a fluffy one at mm-hmm. best. So got just a few more questions for you because it's been really lovely getting to hear about oh, this trajectory man good time just lovely <laughs> mm. and we get to sip the henry mckenna 10 years favorite barrel. whiskey we make it is the most underrated and the most cost effective mm, let's whiskey. not tell everybody about it <laughs> people, <laughs> once people start listening to me then we'll, then when there's a problem but perhaps only only the few of only the cool kids get to drink only henry mckenna cool this is the fugazi of bourbon <laughs> that's how i look at it mm, the oldest eight state of bottle and bond on the planet amazing so I think about kind of all the things you've taken interest in, whether it's comedy, whether it's bourbon, whether it's guitar, music, and all of that. And I think about you sipping a bourbon that you love. You don't have to tell me what it is, but you're at your favorite bar mm-hmm. in the world, and you could sit there and share a glass with anybody in history, living or deceased. Oh, geez. Who might you <laughs> like to just have a conversation with and sip some bourbon with? Well, several people. You know, uh, uh, Johnny Carson for one, oh, Jimmy man. Stewart for yeah, another. Jimmy Stewart, uh-huh. amazing, yeah. Jimmy Stewart for another. Um, uh, Sammy Davis Jr. I think the whole Rat Pack would have to be God. have to be there. Yeah. You know, I know I know that uh, Frank was a Jack guy, would be fine. You know, um, you know it's whiskey, and uh, it would be great. Um, those are the people. You know, the Lou Costellos of the world, mm. the uh, Groucho Marks of the world. You know, my uh, you know, my mentors yeah. of comedy, you know, Jack Benny, God, I don't Jack think he Benny, drank, yeah. but boy, you know, he'd be awesome to just be able to talk to, you know, Jack Benny was amazing. George Burns was amazing. Those kind of people who, you know, Milton on, Burrow, that, maybe. On, on that comedians in cars drinking coffee, you know, Chris Rock was on. He said, you know, if you think you could have a guy who stand up on stage and talk to 3000 people and all of me listening to their next word. I mean, that's, I mean, that's what leaders of countries do. Yeah. You know? They hold, they hold a house. Well, how do you think active. President Trump got elected? He wasn't stupid. He, he was in front of crowds. He yeah. wasn't able to do the things. And we, I mean, that doesn't matter. I mean, I didn't vote for the guy, but I can appreciate what he did. 
He From was a, a comedian. He went around. He, went, he told people what they wanted to hear, yeah. and they, he he motivated a certain amount of people to be able to do what he did. We'll see what I, I, I hope the best for, for everything. But I'm just saying, anybody can stand up, and and films different. Yeah, these are guys that performed every night. You know, the Rat Pack coming up with that that was genius. That was taking. They all knew they were the best at what they did in the world. Right. All egos aside, Working Dean together. Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., Frank Sinatra. All those guys who got together, all egos aside, let's just have a good time, yeah. drink with each other, and people will pay to see it. Wow. That is a fucking I epic would love job. to sit down with them. Amazing job. And how did you all, this couldn't happen. How did this make sense? You know, as a, yeah. you know, you all have the biggest, you're the biggest stars of your time. And for you all to share the stage with each other and not be, right. you know, clawing into each other it's like the beatles would man. be amazing you know so i would love to talk to sit down with them and they all had favorite bartenders yeah. and waiters absolutely because you can drink at home that's true but it's not as so much fun i mean there's famous stories you know where the you know, frank sinatra was out with a couple of people and they were at a, at a bar you know kind of like it'd be like here just kind of a little bar yeah. there was a jukebox and the lady comes up and she goes oh the jukebox is broken she was drunk. She yeah. was only seen. And Frank said, want me to sing you a song? She goes, nah. <laughs> she didn't know who he was. Yeah. <laughs> and he got a huge kick out of that. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, that's you Frank to love that. Nah, not you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and he fell on the floor. <laughs> you know, that's what you want to be. You want to be around. All they want to do is be around real people. Yeah. And it's, I'm, I'm lucky in this business where I, I can go to pretty much any bar, a lot of bars in a lot of cities and not be a stranger. Yeah. I can now walk in and hear him know Tim and his crew and, and know and sit down and have a drink and not feel like a stranger. Yeah. You know, it's kind so, of fun. This is the last question. So mm -hmm. you're heading off to some whiskey trivia, I believe, downtown. Uh, later tonight, we've got a couple things. We've got another training and a dinner and then yeah. uh, that. A lot of great trivia. stuff for the, the Heaven yeah. Hill portfolio. But the, the last piece is... You ever gonna get back on stage proper? You gonna write something? Oh, if you want to? Um, of course. Yeah. You know, um, I'm I'm on stage all the time. I perform. I I play bluegrass. I now do a that's, tasting. Well, that's right. Yeah. Where I I I perform bluegrass music with doing a tasting, but also just get up with the guys and play bluegrass music with them. Yeah. I get up and uh, play with my friend Robbie, who plays who sings uh, rhythm and blues blues and and jazz music and stuff. Yeah. But I'll, I'll I'll do comedy here and there. I, mean, I don't just, think you can yeah. uh, take the comedy out of you. No. No, no. I want to do my play again. Yeah. I just, uh, you know, I've, I'm writing a screenplay right now about, about uh, uh, you know, be a, a series for uh, Netflix or something else. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, I love writing. So, Bernie, man, it's, dude, it's been really great chatting with you. It's been enhancing. It makes me oh, feel good you. to talk. And it's been brilliant sipping the Henry McKenna mm -hmm. with you. Be again, the well, thank unsung you. hero. Well, you can. You can uh, read about this and other things at whiskeyprof.com. Actually, uh, you can get my book through there, too, which is uh, Bourbon Whiskey, Our Native Spirit, Sour Mash, and Sweet Adventures. Not that I'm selling books, but it's there. If that wants supple them. radio but voice. Go to, uh, go to whiskeyprof.com. <laughs> but thank you so much for, for Thanks, having man. me on. Really Enjoy appreciate the rest, it. Austin. And, of course, Henry McKenna, Evan Williams, Elijah Craig, the great whiskeys, the Parker Beam. And here we'll finish with a little toast to Parker because he passed yes. away Just uh, a, a couple weeks, weeks ago. ago yeah. And I was at his funeral. And uh, so great to look around and see all the great distillers and his contemporaries and uh, all the distillers came out to, to wish him a goodbye. But uh, Parker would tell me, 
uh, I said, you know, you stay so busy. You know, you still got your farm. Even at the end, he was battling ALS, of course, and uh, he would still ride his gator, but other people would have to steer it and hit the pedals. Do you want to sit behind the wheel? I mean, right, Parker right. was in charge. You know, he was the guy. Um, and, I'm, and he would come to the story and sign bottles for people until he, you know, his arms really couldn't move. You know, ALS takes away your motor skills. And, and I'd say, Parker, just take it easy. And he goes, Bernie, we're all going to die. You're going to die one day. He goes, but I'm going to die one day. He says, but I like to stay busy. So the day I die, I hope it's late in the afternoon so I can get a lot done that day. And he died at 3.30 in the morning, so I think he got a lot done that day. So Amazing. here's to Parker. Salute. Cheers. Thank you, Bernie. Well, there we have it, uh, Mr. Bernie Lubbers, the whiskey prof and author, a singer, a performer, a lover, and evangelist of bottled and bond whiskeys. It was really a pleasure getting to hear about his touring life. I think that a stand-up comedian career previously is the perfect way to get used to the road, to captivate audiences, to understand personalities. And really, he's a very charismatic guy. Really, really lovely getting to chat with him. And again, you know, thinking about Parker Beam and the legacy that he's left on the landscape of whiskey, it's great to get at least a little bit of insight from Bernie into the great Parker Beam himself. So, Bernie, thank you so much for chatting with me. It really was an honor. It really was a moving experience, too, getting to hear about your life. Just such a large and grand and, and lovely life you've had so far. So, Godspeed and keep spreading the wonderful word about the Bottled and Bond whiskeys. And thank you for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter if you're thinking, man, when in the hell is it actually going to rain here in Austin, Texas? These clouds have been lingering for days. Or if you're thinking, man, what should I watch this weekend? Probably Golden Girls, right? Yeah, probably Golden Girls. Please keep dancing.